Throws me off guard when a pastor doesn't want to waste time on stuff, you know, just <laughs> gets right to us. Okay. <laughs> yep. All right. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the 119th Psalm. The 119th Psalm. I've been going through a little uh, routine in my own uh, <clears throat> devotion time, prayer life, and so forth, that I, uh, every, before I go to prayer, I read one of the stanzas here of the 119th Psalm. And uh, I was, uh, been through it a couple of times here just lately, and, you know, I was mad at myself, Pastor, that after all these years, I, as a pastor, I never preached through the 119th Psalm. And I wish like everything I would have. And now I'm not in a meeting long enough to be able to go, <laughs> to go through the entirety of it. But my, 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 absolutely wonderful. And we're going to consider the 119th Psalm. So let's read it, um, follow along as I read just these eight verses. <clears throat> Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word <clears throat> as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. Now, probably the most recognizable verse is the 165th verse of this particular stanza, where he said, Great peace of they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. It was back uh, quite a number of years ago, uh, I don't know, probably 45, 50, maybe even more. Uh, it was a time in our country where there was a good deal of unrest. Uh, I think it was during the 60s, and a good deal of unrest there was, which by the way, the 60s were, a, it was a very tumultuous decade. People look at where we are right now, and they think, uh, oh, this is unprecedented. They think everything's unprecedented. I just want to tell you, there was a lot of social upheaval and social unrest in the 1960s, and there are people in here that are of the generation that can testify and verify to that if, if uh, you're not familiar with it. And there were campus riots, and I, I remember at Kent State University, where's Kent State? In Ohio, I believe it was. Uh, there were uh, college students that were shot down by the National Guard in a demonstration and killed right there on the campus. There were race riots, there was destruction and mass destruction, protests against the Vietnam War. It was a time of a sexual revolution, the rock and roll revolution, and uh, certainly turned our nation upside down in terms of uh, moral judgment, understanding. It was a time when the abortion, which the Supreme Court didn't uh, approve or pass abortion till what, 1973, but it was during that time, I mean, it was just a time of social people. There were strikes, strikes going on everywhere. And uh, I remember during that time, 
that somebody wrote a song, you know, trying to take a lighthearted attitude towards all the heaviness that was over the country at that time. And this guy in country music, I suppose, he wrote a song, accompanied himself on the guitar and said, everybody ought to have a song. Sing a little song about something that's gone wrong. Go on strike about something that you don't like. Everybody ought to have a song. And it's got a, it's, there's a jingle to it, but if I sing that for you now, you want me to sing in every service, so I'm <laughs> not going to do that. But uh, anyway, everybody ought to have a song. Sing a little song about something that's gone wrong. Go on strike about something that you don't like. Everybody ought to have a song. And now here we are again where everybody is upset about something. Have you noticed that? And, uh, and, and we are living in a time when the sensitivities of our, of our citizens, it, it's just incredible. It, it takes so little for someone to be offended about something now. And uh, every day that you pick up the paper, there's somebody else offended about something. If it doesn't have to do with race and it has to do with sexism, if it doesn't have to do with that, it has to do with somebody's left out here, it has to do with sports, crybabies, poor guys only making how many millions a year, and all this kind of stuff in politics and everywhere. It's just disgusting. Don't you think there ought to be some place on this earth that's free of that? There ought to be some place on this earth. Now, hopefully it would be in your homes, but if you're married, <coughs> uh, well, anyway, uh, hopefully it would be in our homes. And, uh, but for sure, there ought to be a different spirit and a different attitude among God's people when we assemble as a New Testament church. I mean, it, it ought to be totally and entirely different among the people of God. And uh, you saw the verse that said, and many of you have known it already before, and nothing shall offend them. And uh, to some people, that's just unthinkable that you could live at a level that you could be offended by nothing. But I'm going to submit to you that it's not only achievable, it's the way a true follower of Jesus Christ ought to live. Amen. We ought to be to the place, at the place, where we are offended by nothing. Now, uh, it's been uh, my wonderful pleasure to be in the uh, full-time ministry now. Let's see, it'll be 54 years this summer. And uh, 36 of those years, I pastored a church. I was assistant pastor, and then I've been retired from the pastorate since 2010. So you put it all together, and I've, I've been trying to be a preacher for a long time. And working with a lot of people, I've worked with, um, you know, Bible college and met the hundreds of pastors that are involved in Bible college work and missions work and such as that. And um, I, I'm just amazed at some of the things that people get offended by. If you do any door knocking, you're going to find people in Marshall, Missouri or Oklahoma City or Tenbuctu, Tucumcari, New Mexico. It doesn't matter where you go. You're going to find people as you knock doors that said, no, no, no. Uh, well, they said, no, no, I, I used to go to church. I used to go to church. And if they'll open up and talk to you, usually you can find that they were offended by something that measures just about like that. Yeah. Some little insignificant petty. I've also found the experience, this isn't the case everywhere. I want to praise God for that. But I've also found that many churches get stuck in the mud because they wallow in pettiness. Things that don't even matter. This one's upset about this. Somebody's upset about that. Somebody's upset about another thing. And 
uh, somebody had their psyche affected because the preacher suggested that or said that. Or if it's not the preacher, it's his wife. I mean, I've got a wife here of the last 50, soon be 55 years, been in the ministry with me. And I'm trying to, I was trying to think this morning as I was going over this, has anybody, I can't remember if anybody's ever been offended because of her, except she was married to me or something like that. I, I, I don't know. But people get, a, and, and when I said many churches are stuck in the mud, there are many churches that are stuck in the mud. And many times it has to do with the pettiness that, it get, that is getting all attention because the pastor has a difficult time leading because, well, you got, oh boy, listen, yeah, now I remember going to Southwest Baptist Church in uh, 1990 and I didn't know that church. They didn't know me. I knew of them, but uh, we didn't know each other. And after about, uh, after about, oh, I don't know, two or three months, we got to really learning the people. It was a church in attendance of about 700 at that time. And so uh, I remember as we got to know one another, I told my wife on it one night, I said, did you know their son is married to their daughter and, they, and all the connections of family there? I'd never been in a church like that that had so many family connections, intermarriage and all that kind of thing. And I thought, you know, if I mess up and offend that person, it could cause a domino effect. We could lose just about everything, you know. <laughs> Uh, and and uh, I remember thinking that way. Now, I've never pastored that way, really worrying about it. I'm just saying what could happen. And, uh, and so, you know, yeah, pastors are handcuffed all over the place because people are so offendable. And preachers now stand in the pulpit. And the next time I hear this, I'm just going to, I think I'm going to throw a fit. I, I may just go up to the platform and throw a fit. I don't know. But the next time I hear a pastor preaching what ought to be preached and saying what the Bible says, and it might actually confront where people are in their attitude, living or thinking or such as that, and the pastor will say a word or two and then say, are we okay? Are we okay? Oh, no, no, I can't stand that. I mean, can you imagine Ezekiel going to the people and saying, uh, uh, you're in big trouble with God. Are we okay? Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, and just all this stuff that goes on. Well, you know, so we understand there's a, there's a systemic problem that exists among churches. We'll use this word that's kind of getting overused these days. And there's a problem throughout. And I'm just going to submit to you on the authority of the Word of God that when someone is offended about something, it says a great deal. Hardly anything about the offense or the nature of it, but a great deal about the person that is offended. Not the offender, but the offended says a great deal about him. Now, let's uh, talk about this for just a little bit and try to make sure that we get to uh, understand uh, verse number 165. In fact, let's read that verse out loud. I mean, let's just read it together, everybody in unison, shall we? And read it carefully, slowly, thoughtfully, and read it out loud. Ready? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, I can only speak for me. I want to live like that. I, I, <laughs> I want to live like that. I do not want to live my life always trying to get over something. There are people like that. And then there are other people that never try to get over it. They feel justified and wallow in self-pity and uh, feel like they are the victim of everything, you know. 
And, and here is a condition that can be attained. And I'm just saying, for my part, and I would think any serious Christian, I'm talking about if you're serious, I'm not talking about a person who just goes to church because they go to church. So I always feel better about myself and my week goes better if I go to church. Now, that is not a serious Christian. There are people that think that way. Yeah, yeah, I need to get back in church. I'll tell you, when I, when I do go, it just seems like my week goes better. So I'm going to use it to make my week go better. You know, if, but if we're a serious Christian, we ought to look at this and say, number one, this great peace sounds very appealing. Well, don't jump up and shout or anybody say amen. <laughs> I just said, great peace sounds very appealing. Amen. You can have great peace. Yeah, but there's a lot going on. Well, there hasn't been a time since the fall that there hasn't been a lot going on. But it is possible to have a life that is characterized by great peace. It doesn't mean that there is no turmoil here and no turmoil there, no turmoil behind you and before you. It doesn't mean there is no confusion, no turmoil in the world. But have you read uh, the Gospels lately? That Jesus knew how to give peace in the midst of the most incredible circumstances? And that's what he is talking about. And, he's, and number one, that is uh, very appealing. Great peace. And then he tells us how to attain it. We're going to talk about that. And nothing shall offend them. Uh, I, uh, Brother Sam, I, I feel like I offended you. Now, usually if people come to me that way, I just let them talk. But I want to stop right there and say, actually, no. Now, I want to be honest about it. When I'm living this, when it's a reality in my own life, and they say, I, I don't want to offend you, but, well, let me call time out here and just tell you, you can't offend me. And you don't want to do that if you, if you don't mean it, yeah. if, it if you're not there. Yeah. But you can be there. I'm not saying you're not. But if you're not, you can be there. there there's no reason to live this life uh, with the confusion and the turmoil that comes by hypersensitive feelings and always getting upset and concerned over things that basically don't even matter. Don't even matter. All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's look at the definition of offend. Now, I use this text back at uh, Heartland a number of, uh, oh, I don't know, two or three or five years ago, maybe nine, I don't know, I'm kind of getting lost on all this, but nonetheless, I used it. And so I, here's how I demonstrated. I had a guy uh, behind the little choir thing here. Now, you couldn't do it here, but I don't know if it's cloth or what it is there, but it uh, enabled him to get behind there. And the other students didn't know he's there. I had him planted there from before the service ever started. And so I just kind of demonstrated and I said, uh, now we're defining what offense means. And I just said, and I'm just kind of walking along in my life and I'm trying to mind my own business and serve the Lord. And, and he stuck that stick out. And I was walking a little faster than I did here. It's a longer platform. And so I was walking across there at a fairly good pace. He stuck the stick out. I mean, right out from, I mean, a big stick. Stuck it right out there. And so I feigned to trip over. Now, I wanted to make it look real, and I did. I, I hurt myself and everything. <laughs> but I went down, and the student body is just, oh, and then you can hear him gasping and everything. Because poor old man up there, you know. So anyway, I, I went down like that. And then I had him stand up, and everybody clapped or booed. I can't remember what they did, but we got quite a response from him. And he stood up, and I said, now, that was planned. That was on purpose. But that's what an offense is. 
So that if you went to study the word, either in the, in the Old Testament in the Hebrew or where we're going to refer to in the New Testament just a little bit, it's the exact same definition. So we're, we're talking about the same thing when we use the Old Testament passage that would have been in Hebrew and the New Testament passage that would have been Greek. They mean exactly the same thing. How Solomon used it here, if, that, if Solomon is the writer, uh, I mean uh, David, is, he's the writer, and how Jesus used it in the Gospels means the same thing. A trip stick or a trap stick. Trip or trap, either one you want. They, that's, what, that's what an offense is. Or it can be not a physical stick. It can be something that uh, is an obstacle. Something that uh, stops you or has potential to stop you and take you down. So that you're going along and it doesn't have to be something physical. It can be some news that you got. It can be, uh, <laughs> oh boy, I don't know if I should get into this or not. You might have seen something on Facebook. There's a good reason not to have Facebook right there. You, you saw something on Twitter. Or you saw something on some of the social media. Well, that always goes over good in churches. But anyway, you saw, you saw something on social media and you saw it had to do with a friend of yours or it had to do with you or some family member and they said this. How could they say it? Who was it that said it? Well, I don't know who they are, but... Are you serious? And, and so something comes along and it causes you to stop and it just kind of takes you away, distracts you. And, and some people even get way, way down and have to have medication and all kinds of stuff because something has offended them. And uh, so that's what uh, offense means. Something has caused them to stumble. Something is an obstacle in their way or something that may cause them to stop or to fall, to go down. Now listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. And uh, I, generally, you know, we'd like to consider the context and everything, but this is not jerking it out of context. You can go read it yourself. It's Matthew 18 and Luke 17. Now we're not going to turn there. Let me just give it to you so we can get to going. <laughs> and in, in either one of these, Matthew 18, 7 or Luke 17, 1, Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 7. For it must needs be that offenses come. Now Jesus is teaching his disciples and he said, offenses are going to come. Uh, contrary to the prosperity gospel that is preached today, if you follow Jesus, it's smooth sailing. You'll be driving a BMW or two and live in a gated community with a big fancy house and you'll wear the highest quality of clothes. You'll have success and you'll be as happy as Jesse Duplantis. If you've ever seen him, which I hope you haven't, but he's got more teeth than Jimmy Carter. And he smiles and smiles. And he goes on like, you know, everything's just always happy and always upbeat. And I don't he doesn't even preach out of the Old Testament because there ain't no grace in the Old Testament. That's what he said actually one time. Oh, boy. I can get offended right there and want to get hung up and not finish this lesson. But I'm just saying, and so, no, Jesus said to his disciples, no, life isn't going to be that way. You're going to follow me. Watch what happens to the master. And whatever happens to the master is probably going to be experienced at least to some degree or another by those who are serious about following him. And he said, it must needs be that offenses come. And then it's worded this way in Luke 17, 1. Listen to this. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. 
Yeah, but I've been trying to do right and follow the Lord and be a Christian, and then this happened to me. <laughs> okay, now Jesus gave us some warning here. Yeah. He said, it must needs be that offenses come. You don't really prosper in your life on a smooth sailing situation where you never have an issue, never have a problem. And Jesus said, it's impossible. Well, why did he say it's impossible that offenses come? Because most people are not for Jesus and the gospel. Why would offenses come? I'll run that by again. Most people are not for Jesus and the gospel. Uh, it, the nature of the gospel, my wife and I were in a place yesterday and I was witnessing to an individual uh, that is from another country. He's a Hindu. And I got to talking to him and he said uh, that he is taught to have respect for all religions. And, you know, he started going down. He's an enjoyable man to talk to. My wife and I enjoy talking. I like him. And so he's talking and he said, we have respect for all religions. So therefore, he said, my grandfather, for some reason, had a big picture of Jesus in his room. And he held his hands up like this. A big picture in his room. Because he had such respect for Jesus Christ. And he was still trying to figure that out. Now, whether his grandpa ever got saved, I don't know. But he just said, my grandpa. But that's what our religion teaches us. Have respect to all religions. So that's the way he perceived that Christianity ought to be. But if you read the word, as you know the gospel and you read the word of God, you can understand that the very nature of the gospel is um, exclusive and divisive, isn't it? Why? And I mentioned this to the man, talked to him about it a few minutes, because he called Jesus a good man. I said, well... He, he is that all right. He went about doing good. He was a good man. But would he be a good man if he wasn't who he said he was? Would he be a good man if, in fact, he was other than what he claimed to be? Because, and I wanted to preach out of this this morning, but I'm not going to. It's John 14, where in that text he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Now, let's announce that to the English-speaking culture of our society and say, you will go to hell, every one of you, without salvation through Jesus Christ. What do you think they're going to do? Yay! Yes. No, a handful of believers, and we're not glad that anybody goes to hell. In fact, we're supposed to be busy to make sure they have an opportunity to go to heaven. The very nature of the gospel is offensive. Why? Because if you believe this and the gospel says this, then you're wrong. Oh, no, that's my truth, my truth. <laughs> that's the thing that's gone on in our culture and society. Uh, is, that, is that what you believe, uh, Davison? Yes, that's what I believe. Well, my truth is this. That's your truth. Uh, no, this isn't my truth. It's the truth. I didn't originate this. I didn't sit around and think this stuff up. No, that's not how it came about. We embrace the truth that is given to us in this word. So, well, anyway, back to it. What did Jesus say? It is impossible, but that offense has come. There are going to be offenses in the process of following Jesus. Now, let me encourage you to do this. Uh, read the New Testament church letters <clears throat> and the pastoral letters. 
Read those. And read it with this in mind. Do all offenses to the work of the gospel come from without? Do all offenses to your Christian life come from without? What, what do you mean without? Well, from the world of unbelief, from the world of Christ's rejectors, from the world that says no to the gospel. In fact, for those that are, uh, declare themselves to be enemies of the gospel, they think you and I are crazy for being here today, reading this book and talking about it, and then come back tonight and let me look around. Yep, all of you be back every night through Friday night. Isn't that great? I just did a little look over the audience. It looks good. <laughs> and they, they think we're nuts about this. I mean, you're going to go to church when? Monday, Monday night? You went Sunday morning, you know. And so I'm just saying. That we, and so read the church letters and you'll see, though, that not all the opportunities for offense comes from without. Sometimes it comes from within. Uh, very much so. And Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said, these two sisters here, they need to get it worked out and move on. We can't have this. It's causing strife and division in the church. And he wrote to the Corinthian church who had all kinds of issues and, and problems. Read the book of 1 Corinthians and 2, but especially they're identified in the book of 1 Corinthians. And the issues that they were having wasn't coming from outside persecution. They couldn't even get along within themselves. They were divided among themselves. And Paul's trying to write and heal the situation. Is everybody with me here? So I, I'm just saying, as of yet... We haven't really come under real attack. I think we can sure see the clouds that have been on the horizon for a while are getting a lot closer as we look at what's taken place in the past months and the overreach. I do like this term that's caught on, the overreach of government into church life and such as that. I think we can see those clouds that have been on the horizon for a long time are very, very close compared to where they used to be. Things that I thought my son and my grandchildren would see, I'm beginning to see right before my very eyes. And I, I really miss that one, but I'm not a prophet. I'm just reading the Bible and trying to figure out. And things are moving fast, fast. But all the issues don't come from without there. Many times, the things that stops most people is something that happened within. Within. Some message. Uh, you've probably never had this happen. I'm sure you've never had this happen where you preached on something in the course of preaching the Bible and somebody was there that it's like that sermon was made for them. So therefore, you got it and preached to them. I remember going to visit one guy, Larry. Man, I invested a lot of time in Larry and his wife and everything. And I noticed he wasn't showing up. And so I went to his house and I sat down and he was, he was very angry. He was upset. He was offended. You know what he's offended about? I can't remember what his issue was. But I know this, that on Sunday morning, three Sundays in a row, I preached right to him. I said, Larry, I don't even know what your issue is. I don't even know what your problem Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Three Sundays in a row. And the, it ended like this. Larry, there's over a thousand people in that room. Do you think maybe you might be overestimating your importance just a little bit? <laughs> that I would neglect everybody else to preach to you? If I had something I needed to say to you personally, I'd do what I'm doing right now and come to your home and say it. You know, 
And so things like that can happen. And then a pastor might misspeak. A pastor might misspeak. I've had to apologize before. And somebody, or a Sunday school teacher. Or there's somebody that their kids are causing problems in the youth department or a Sunday school class. <laughs> well, I, I don't mean anybody here. I'm talking about some of those churches out there. And a kid might be causing some kind of a problem in the class. And the teacher deals with it. And the, you, I told you, I brought my kid. My child is already picked on at church, uh, at school. And now I bring him to church. And, and I'm having the same issues here. Uh, boy, this is probably pretty revealing right there. Because <laughs> probably not everybody in the world from the neighborhood to the, to the public school to the church to family members is out to get your kid. Your kid's probably not that important. But it seems that way. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. I remember saying one. Well, Brother Seth, that's our youth pastor. Brother Seth said, this is, I said, well, yeah, I talked to Brother Seth, and I've talked to your child. And it seems like Brother Seth, yeah, well, that means my child lies. Listen to this. My child never lies. <laughs> and once I got up off the floor from lapping, <laughs> then we go on and deal with it. You know, I, but come on. You see what I'm saying? So a lot of the fences come within. Most of them, petty. Most of them directly related to extreme selfishness and self-centeredness. There's, I mean, I could, I guess, find some synonyms and not say that. Selfishness and self-centeredness, but that's where a lot of it comes from. If you knew my, my parents were this way, Oh, boy, you know, once you get past about 40, maybe sooner, we should be able as Christians to rise above some of the things that we saw that weren't right before us. I mean, no, I'm, if we're a Christian, we're trying to follow the Bible. Shouldn't the Bible, it should, it does. Shouldn't it lift us above the fray down there of pettiness and offenses and stuff that goes on? that causes people to stumble. Next thing you know, they're sitting at your home from church with their arms folded. You're gonna watch the live stream since uh, the pandemic? No. And they're not gonna do it because they're still offended. Don't, shouldn't, shouldn't followers of Jesus find a way to live above that? Wallowing. Did you ever see a pig wallow? I don't have time to get off on this stuff, but I, wallowing, it just means stuck down there, wallowing in pettiness. Well, yes, but that's just my personality. Well, I mean, uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old, it, it, isn't that part of being a Christian, that we're able to have a different relationship to our selfishness and to our sin and to our ways that are uh, inward, you know, focusing upon the inward man. Aren't we supposed to be able to see like Jesus sees and live like Jesus taught us to live? Well, I can tell you this. It's not going to happen. Unless you love this book. Look at it. Verse 1. Look at this. My heart, 
Okay, princes have persecuted me without a cause. <laughs> it, let's say David is the psalmist here. Do we know anything about David's life to see if he was ever, oh, abused? <laughs> if ever anybody ever came after him unjustifiably? Well, yes, they did. But David said, or the psalmist said, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. You know what those princes said about you? Yeah, but you know what God's word said about me? And my heart standeth in awe of thy word. Look in verse 62. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Ask many believers. Do you read your Bible? Yeah, I read it. Uh, <laughs> do we see maybe something missing here? Because he, the attitude that we ought to have about the word of God is not, yeah, I read it, but I mean, I don't understand everything. Well, if you'll just work at what you do understand, it'll keep you busy most of your life. Amen. Like the Sermon on the Mount. But anyway, look in verse 162. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. What does that mean? Well, great treasure is some unexpected blessing. Aren't those nice when they come along? And you find yourself being on the receiving end of some kind of blessing that you had no idea to expect. And he said, I rejoice at thy word. How excited is the psalmist about God's word and God's law and God's judgments and God's precepts. He is so excited. He said, I, I'm as excited about this as one that finds great spoil an unexpected abundance of something, maybe material, maybe money, whatever the case might be. Hmm. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I just said, it's not going to happen to live above offense without loving the word of God. Look in verse number 163. I hate and abhor lying. Boy, do we live in a culture of liars, don't we? We don't expect to hear the truth. You expect to turn on the news and hear the truth? Do you expect to see an advertisement and be told the truth? Do you expect even your elected officials to tell you the truth? It's, it's just, it's sad. It's, it's like it was in the days of Isaiah. Here's how God inspired Isaiah to say it about their day. Truth has fallen in the streets. You don't even expect to hear it. You know, the sad thing about that, I talked to our church about this uh, more than once, is that when we're dealing with some issue, like we had some church discipline issues or major decisions to make in the life of the church uh, while I was pastoring, I said, you know what some of you are going to do if you're not careful? You're going to treat your pastor like you treat the news people, the politicians, the marketers, and you're going to say, I heard what he said, but I wonder what he really meant. And I, and I just told him, you're not watching television right now. And what I'm telling you is how it is. And if it's not how it is, I'll tell you how it is. You know, because the, it's just the mentality out here. Everybody's so conditioned to hear somebody talk. A coach says this about his team when really inside there's all kinds of turmoil. And those two guys that got in each other's face hated each other's gizzard. It's not like, oh, they're brothers. They're good guys. They're good boys. They're good boys. They, they hate each other. 
but the coach has got to say what's acceptable. Come on. I'm, don't leave me up here alone. This is going on in our culture and our society all the time at almost every level. And God's people ought to hate lying. That's what, it, that's what the book says. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Contrast, see the contrast? Well, why? Well, when you pick up this book, you're going to hear truth. <laughs> when you read what God said, you're going to hear the truth. I mean, they, God even tells the truth about some of his choice servants. What did you see in David's life that God covered up? You see what I'm saying? You're, you're going to read the truth here. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I rejoice that thy word is one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying. Look in verse 164. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. I know the word of God is righteous. I know it is true. I know it is right. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteousness. Somebody said, do you count seven times a day? I think if you really get serious about the Bible, you can forget counting. You're going to at least read seven somewhere in the course of a normal day when you're thanking the Lord about this or praising the Lord about that and it's directly related to his teachings and his promises and his word. Oh yeah, this isn't, look at, this isn't hyperbole. This is the way we're supposed to live. Amen. And verse 166, Lord, I have hope for thy salvation and done thy commandments. I know what the Bible says. Well, the next question would be, are we doing what it says? Because <laughs> all this peace and joy and happiness and fulfilling and everything doesn't happen to those who just stuff it in their brain because they like to know stuff, but those that act upon it. I mean, you got the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus comes right down at the end of that incredible passage in Matthew's account, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, come down to the end, and he said, Now, a man that hears my words and does not do them is building his life on the sand and the storm's going to take it away. But those that hear my words and what? Do them. Do them. His life, his house would be built upon a rock and the storms will come and she'll stand solid. Say, well, that's the thing. Well, I've read the Bible and I don't necessarily agree with all of that. Well, okay, you read the Bible and you put some stuff in your brain, but are you doing what it says? And, and look in verse 167. He's not on a boasting spree here. He said, My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. These words are inspired by God. This is the inspired writer. This was so in his life, or God would have inspired somebody that it was so in his life. And he said, My soul hath kept thy testimonies. I love them exceedingly. When we do what God says. Can I just share something with you here? I guess I can. He told me to come on up here. But you know, um, one, of the, one of the things that uh, I count as one of the greatest victories of my life as a Christian happened uh, probably during the time that I was in my late 40s, early 50s, and right through in there. And I'll tell you what it was. It's when God, by the, by the power of His Word, I, I, this could be a long story, I, I don't have time for that, but by the power of His Word helped me to love people that I know don't love me. Can I, can I share something with you? That was so much fun. 
My soul hath kept, and I love them exceedingly. And I'm, I, I've had an antagonist or two along the way, sometimes preachers doing Bible college work or missionary work, sometimes church members, sometimes officers of the church that have been like an antagonist. And when God helped me turn that corner to actually love them that were trying to give me a hard time, there's, I, I can't tell you the peace that I experienced in my own soul. Now, I'm not say, saying I ever tried to retaliate all the time. Probably sometimes I did in subtle ways. Probably did. Okay, I did. But when you get over that and you can actually care for them and love them like we're supposed to love the brethren, I was, that was one of the great victories in my life as a Christian right there. And it brings joy. It, does, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> it doesn't hurt to obey the word of God. My soul hath kept thy testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies for all my ways are before thee. God, well, look at the psalmist. He said, I know you know, you know. So there's no need playing games about this. Now let's go back to 165 and we're done. 165. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Now, you're not going to say it to everybody that gives you the opportunity. But wouldn't it be great to say the next time somebody says, I don't mean to offend you, but, well, just say what you need to say because you can't offend me. And the next time something doesn't go your way, church life, family life, whatever the case, live this and enjoy the peace. Great peace. He didn't say peace. He said great peace. Yes. Now, I've checked out that word great. If peace is this big, great peace is this big. <laughs> Truly, what it means. And nothing shall offend them. I suggest on the according to the teachings of Jesus, that's where you and I are supposed to live. Amen. And it will not happen unless we love this book right here yeah. and the God of this book. Pastor?